Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Today, we're here with Darren Stoffer. He's the head of government sales and strategic relationships at dealroom.co. Darren, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I guess before we dive in, what is dealroom.co? Sure. Dealroom.co is a software as a service. So we're a software SaaS-based platform. And what we do is we track startups and venture capital throughout the globe. Specifically, I work on the side of the business and we support economic development and related government enablers in helping them track their startup ecosystems, provide visibility for them, and understand how they make sense of data out there as it relates to tech and, and how they're understanding and measuring it locally and regionally. And you come to this from an economic development background. You ran startups and entrepreneurship initiatives at Arlington Economic Development in Virginia. Yeah, so I, I started my career and I worked for a couple of startups based in the DC area, other SaaS companies. And so I got some good experience working for tech and understanding that. And after doing that for several years, I sort of wanted to transition a little bit and get away from a little bit of the fast-paced craziness of, of startups as they, as they were. I, I always like to say like like a year at a startup is like five years at, at, a, at a normal traditional company. But the opportunity came up locally, actually. I'm from Northern Virginia originally. I was living at Arlington at the time. I currently actually live in Europe in, in Amsterdam where we're headquartered. And yeah, so I, I ended up working at Arlington Economic Development. And at the time, we had a really big idea and, and related initiatives to to help attract tech companies to the area. If, if those listening are familiar with Northern Virginia, it's next to D.C., it's extension of the federal government's offices and federal contracting have massive presence there. It's the largest concentration of federal contractors in the United States. And so we relied locally on companies, mainly government contractors, taking office space, partially to support the tax base. And what happened was actually in 2000, this is sort of getting to where I'm at now, but 2010, 2008, 2009, actually, the federal government announced that they were going to do some realignment of their offices and shuffle things around and basically not just shrink their, 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 their actual physical footprint, but also move shift offices from more expensive mar markets to other places in the country to save costs and other things. And Arlington specifically was affected pretty greatly because of that as governments left or government offices left. So did contractors and other places too. And we actually took that as an opportunity and we were locally always sort of lucky luckily in that we didn't have to recruit too heavily like government contractors came there they took office space it's an expensive area and 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 it worked for a while and there was a point where it wasn't going to work and be sustainable and so we actively started to support and figure out how to recruit tech companies to the area um and that was that was part of my role is how do we do that what, what initiatives do we create how do we support like super local like the small startups to how do we recruit like the large tech companies which Amazon HQs too ended up ended up being in Arlington, which was a huge win and, and lessened the burden of recruitment after after that. But yeah, so I took a lot of what I learned working in startups um, for several years, actually in just understanding how they operate and how to you know 
entrepreneurship works to an extent, the VC world, and utilize that in economic development to help build some sort of community around what we were doing and not just support like the large scale recruitment efforts for tech, but also like the smaller companies and programmatic things around that. It sounds like, I mean, this is a scenario that a lot of communities across the country face, wherein you have a number of large established employers and something changes in their in their business ecosystem and they close a facility and then they leave. And when they leave, that sort of destroys the local economy. The local economic development organization is tasked with figuring out what to do. Was yeah. this something that when the government realigned, was that a surprise in Arlington? Did, was that expected? Or did you have any notice that was going to happen? Yeah, it's a good question. It didn't happen overnight. And and the realignment was going to happen over multi-year period, like five or eight years or something like that, right? So so we had time. We had time to 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 both staff internally for what we wanted it to do, but also sort of just understand what it meant, understand like how, really take a look at the assets we had, right? And we, and re, we had never at the time hadn't like outwardly marketed at Arlington as a, as a tech-friendly hub. Like it is, and it, and it was at the time, it still is. It's Because yeah. you hadn't needed um, to market it. Because hadn't, you, need, hadn't right. really needed to too, yeah. And, and also like tech companies, the, the great thing too is that even if you think about being located right next to DC, as much as we competed with DC, it was great being there um, because we even benefited from, benefited from example, companies needed a lobbyist office or they, they, ha- they needed some, some reason to be near the federal government. Right. And there's many reasons that, that you'd want to, no matter, wh- no matter where you're based. And that's the same thing for international companies too. Often, sometimes they look to, to be located there near for different reasons. But yeah, definitely. I think every community has to look at be like super forward thinking in that stuff because ultimately there's there's definitely ebbs and flows in in economic development when companies come in and come out some is predictable some some isn't pandemics happen war happens like things happen in uh, more so in the last several years than you people could ever imagine and even locally like how do you how do you think about that people talk about now like web 3.0 and you know and and all kinds of other sort of things out there that that are that are that are buzzy if you will but there's a reason for it right and and i also think i sometimes think about that stuff as like wow there's an opportunity for a city out there to be like the web 3.0 capital right right like i always thought about who's going to be the the crypto the alt currency capital and some of it has to do with with tax reasons but but you know in miami that's that's a whole nother thing what they're doing and there's a lot of marketing behind that but that doesn't mean if you're not a small community you can't take the assets you have Combine that with what you want to be and try to try to figure out how to go after that. And the one thing that I always in the last, I don't know, 15 years drove, drove me nuts is that the notion that, oh, we, we want, and I think it's changed a lot. We want to be the Silicon Valley of whatever. Well, I always say you want to be who you are, of whatever, right? And there's, I think it, it, it takes a really, are you still there? Yeah. Keep- Oh, sorry, your camera went out. And I, I think communities have to really think about these things. And also, like right now, is is the most insane market for a lot of different things. It's an insane job market. There's you know more distributed workforce. There's tech hubs that are popping up everywhere that you wouldn't have thought about before. And that's a huge opportunity for everybody out there. Look, whether you're a small community or a large one, to start to capture that. And and how do you how do you think think ahead in terms of like what is next and put things in place now? So. Right. And this reminds me of 
there's the book, uh, Community Capitalism by Ron Kitchens, wherein he was the head of economic development in South, somewhere, Southeastern, Southwestern uh, Michigan. And this same exact thing happened in that community, wherein they had a number of large manufacturers. They had some idea that these manufacturers were going to be going away. And they decided to because of the assets that they already had, they decided to uh, really lean into it. And they got a bunch of local money and they established incubators and all kinds of sort of support businesses that were there and they had space, but nobody was actually in them. They didn't lease out any of the space. And then uh, a short while later, these manufacturers started closing and these research labs that were there started closing. And then the re- so the researchers had places to go and to start new businesses. And it was all prepared and ready. And they nobody would have thought of them as being this, I think it was some kind of biotech, as a biotech capital. But they realized that's what they could be because those were the assets they had. And then they positioned themselves so that they were ready when this change took place. And then they just reaped all of the rewards. I mean, there was a lot of risk up front. But by recognizing what they had and and who they were, they were able to take advantage of that as opposed to thinking, you know what, let's be the Silicon Valley of the Midwest and trying to create this thing that they weren't. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So now you've transitioned to deal room, you've moved to Europe and you're doing government sales and strategic partnerships. But I imagine looking at the deal room website that Working with localities and EDOs, that wasn't like originally the plan, I'd imagine. No, no, I can, I can give you a little bit of the backstory. Absolutely. Sure. So yeah, at the core, we are, we, we sell our to venture capital firms like Sequoia and Excel and small ones and big ones and like corporate companies like Google, Microsoft, Sony, et cetera. So is deal room, they, is it kind of like a crunch base cl- competitor? Is that sort of... The space that you're in? Yeah, a little bit. I definitely can probably say that. And I, I'd say that more so on the venture and corporate side. Sure. Then we have this other side of the business, which is a little bit unique and was born out of, I don't know, maybe it's six years ago now, actually, the city of Amsterdam. They have a group called Startup Amsterdam. It's it's their, their arm that helps promote tech and, and attract tech companies to the city of, of Amsterdam. And they were trying to, to build a database to help to help basically track Amsterdam startups and have some analytics and insights into it. And they had tried to do it themselves and didn't turn out too well. And they had liked our database, like we were doing, liked our user experience, user interface. And they asked if, hey, is it possible to build like a small version of, of what you guys sell to like investors for us specifically? And so we can try it. So we did it. And then after that, we ended up working with a group called TechLeap, which is the national organization that supports entrepreneurship innovation for the, for the Netherlands. We also ended up working with Rotterdam. So they were our first platforms, if you will. And if you think about it, it's sort of like your, your own mini database and platform that you can have like a dashboard to track your startups and understand what's happening in your ecosystem. So since that, so that was how, how it started. And now I think we have we work with about over sixty cities, regionals, or national governments in Europe, Australia, and then about I want to say a year plus ago we began, we began scaling into into the U.S. So we work with cities like Atlanta and Las Vegas and in Montreal in Canada. Can't remember that with Canadians in Alberta and several others. And it's been a really successful uh, part of our business that we've grown pretty really significantly and it's been a very unique thing too that 
I sort of knew from the beginning that this was a very applicable to the ED market for a lot of different reasons. And it's a big need. It's something data and is, is a huge blind spot, particularly for startups at no matter the size, like we, we're going to start, start working with GoTopeka, which by all means, isn't the largest tech ecosystem, but there's data out there and it's important for them to understand. And, and they have their own attributes that make their ecosystem unique too. And so we try to give organizations data to support what they're doing to understand it and then hourly promote it through an open platform that anybody no matter where in the world can can access and yeah so there's a lot of vendors that come that approach edos and they say we have this database and or we have this this SaaS, and it's a database and you can go out and find all of the businesses in whatever space and put them in your database maybe it's made in wherever kind of businesses or maybe it's entrepreneurial startup sort of situation. Is this something that EDOs have to then fill up themselves or is this data that, you know, you guys find and collect and, and collate and put into the system for them? Yeah. So, uh, we're selling to governments and, and we, the, the way that we approach this is that they, they don't want to update or operate these things. Right. So it's a handoff, it's a hands-off approach. We, we do, we take in the data, we find the data, we will ask, Hey, let us know if there's local resources that report on startup information, like whether it's the business journal or, or otherwise, those are hyper local that we might not know about. Then we can connect our API feed to that and then automatically pull that information in. If there's like a list of like, hey, here's, here's local companies that receive grant funding, we can take just take those in a spreadsheet too and, and add those. We want to make it as easy as possible. And then to have the most robust data set too. Currently, we're, we, we're connected to companies different, called different things in different parts of the world but essentially trade registries. And so for us, it's important too to get really early, figure out really, really early stage data. So when companies are registering and they're a startup, like let's track them. doesn't matter to us if they have raised any funding or have any analytics, they're, they're now part of the ecosystem. And uh, that's certainly important information for economic developers to understand locally and regionally. And what we always find is organizations find out about new companies through this process too. Like we say the data grows when you start to do this, not, not, not because necessarily like you're having companies registering your community right away, but because there's blind spots out there that you don't know about. And it provides a lot of insights, even understanding what sectors are growing, like what, you know, how many companies do we have here with under 10 employees and what are they doing? And in aggregate, those are actually a lot, a lot more jobs than, than cities think. People sure. focus on the ones that take up tons of square footage and raise lots of money and get headlines in the news. Well, the fact is the ones that actually don't get as, ma as many headlines create lots of jobs. And that's really interesting stuff. And the, the one statistic that we always sort of look at for cities, particularly when you're talking about like measuring jobs for tech, if you compare, if you compare startup jobs creation to traditional jobs, like companies that have been around for a mm -hmm. long time that aren't like startups grow 10 times faster. Like that's statistically, they grow 10 times faster. And, and so if you're supporting companies at a much earlier stage, those can be the ones that grow fat, that, that can, that can grow a lot. But if you don't know about them, it's hard to be able to support them programmatically through, through grants, through soft landing space. So we try to give a picture of both the earlier stage, but also tracking the later stage stuff and figuring out how those companies are growing, how they're adding people and other information about them that might be helpful to understand within the ecosystem. Gotcha. So do you have any, do you have any really interesting success stories that an EDO maybe rolled out this system and because of that, they discovered some ecosystem they didn't know existed or startup activity um, begets startup activity. I, I can tell you, 
Sorry, you broke up there a little bit. Sorry, I was saying startup activity sort of begets startup activity. If something's happening in one place, more stuff is going to happen there. Yeah, I can, I can tell you what you can like figure out from this and what, what our partners have figured out. It's everything from like how many jobs exist in my city that are, that are made up of startups. Are they in fintech? Are they in health tech? What are they doing? What does the funding makeup look like in that sector? You can then start to understand like who's investing in companies locally, right? Does it make sense to reach out to them? What other companies are they invested in? The one there's, there's different, we work with everything from like La French Tech at the national level in France and the UK government to like city of Berlin, Victoria, Australia. And everybody has a little bit is, is what I call this a maturity cycle in terms of where you are and trying to develop your tech ecosystem, your startup ecosystem, whatever you want to call it. And it could be everything from just having basic understanding of like how many jobs and how many, you know, what does this, what does this look like at a high level to, okay, like of all this data, how many of these are female founded? What does that funding look like? What sectors have, have, and then how do you, how do you then take that? And then if you're tying that to programs, one thing that we have, we work with LaunchVic, they're in Victoria, Australia, and they have, we have a platform for them and they created a fund specifically to support female entrepreneurs and, and startups. And one of the things we do is we track gender within the platform. And so they can call attention to the current female founding startups in their ecosystem so that anybody can take a look at what, what people are, what's, what they're doing. And then existing people through the call to action can actually see that to potentially apply. But now you have real data to understand this stuff. And by the way, the data is pretty bad for female funded startups across the board. It's a, it's a, it's a big issue. If, if, we can help people like give data, but I can tell you the data is going to be pretty low. Like I would say like what our community is actually doing. I think over the last five years has been proven that there needs to be more funding going into both minority and female funded entrepreneurship. That just, it's just sort of a, of a fact, but we can, we can provide data behind some of those things too. So that you can say, Hey, like at a big example, I mentioned tech leap. We've been working with them for four or five years in the, in the Netherlands. And when we first worked with them, they were a fairly small team and now they're a pretty big team. Not to say having our platform has allowed them to triple their, their staff size, but it's given them real data to then go back, partially ask for funding based on actual data, not anecdotal. We think this, we want that, we hope this, but actually like, hey, our funding has been growing by X. These sectors are growing. We need to fund these programs. We need to create something for AI. We need to, so that's, that's real stuff that, that is, can be pretty powerful and actually like getting budget. Another pretty broad, broad use case is just having like quarterly reports, like how much funding came in here, how many startups were added, you know, and then ha you could roll that, that information up, whether to, to a city manager or locality, uh, put it in, in different newsletters. And then we have some, some pretty some sophisticated, more sophisticated sort of ecosystems, if you will. And it's really getting a little bit more granular with the data and it could be taking a look at a specific sector and then really analyzing it. You can then, how do you then benchmark it to other maybe cities that are also trying to attract AI and robotics, et cetera. And so there's tons and tons of uses for it. I, I think the question I always ask is like, ask cities when I'm speaking with them is like, do you have data currently? And it's usually a combination of like, maybe some kind of not really. And I say, okay, well, let's start somewhere. Like let's figure it out. And then let's figure out how to like track it moving forward in, in a pretty real time basis so that you can make better deformed decisions so that you can, you can have a conversation about like, Hey, we, we have 250 startups in our community. 
that's made up of 85 million in funding and that's made up of 625 jobs of which you know 200 are in the financial sector you know it's things like that and it, it just makes you a smarter organization to an extent and then there's a whole other component of the platform that acts as like a visibility tool. Berlin, we work we work with the city of Berlin for a while and they they do a lot of mission trips with you and they do like city exchanges and 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 so they want to really be visible. People obviously associate Berlin to a large extent as a fintech capital. It's actually so much more. But one of the reasons one of the ways they use the platform and and theirs is open, completely open in that they don't even require an email sign up. So if you log on to berlin.bielroom.co I think that's what it is. You can see like 4,500 um, startups in Berlin for free. And they want that intentionally. So if you think about it, if you're if you're visiting someone and you're trying to recruit them to your city, and they ask like, oh, give me some information about your tech ecosystem. Like traditionally, people send PDFs. They push some stagnant information there that says, you know, some high-level stuff that's probably been updated 18 months ago. Right. And if you send them this link, it's real time they can they can play with the data they can look at the companies there's no like barriers to entry behind it so it becomes a pretty cool asset as well to use as a, an insights tool but also as like a, a marketing and, and and sort of digital collateral sure this is super interesting what's the smallest i mean berlin is a big city what's a what's a reasonably sized city that would be able to take advantage of this or what's a reasonable size region if we're looking at more of a rural section of the U.S., for instance, Topeka will be our, our smallest ecosystem in the U.S. Once once that one's that one's live. Currently, we actually work with a region in Germany that I won't attempt to pronounce. I was going to share the link with you, but they have about 103 startups, so it's a pretty pretty small it's a very, pretty small region. And then our largest is I think is it I think it's the U.K. or maybe it's like 35,000 startups. So and that everything in between. Obviously, the, the larger ones are are a lot a take take a lot longer to develop. But yeah. There is, you know, if, if there's no tech activity, like it's, it's hard to track tech, but if you have a hundred startups, if you have 200 startups, there's pretty good data there that you can start tracking. And again, I always say you have to start some, I talked, sometimes I talk to cities and, and I have to talk to states and they, they also give me the same feedback, which is funny, but about the cities, but, and they say, oh, we're too small, like for, for that or, or, oh yeah, like, you know, we, we have that on the spreadsheet and we're not like, we're not ready for that. And I think like. How many years have you been saying you haven't read? Right, right. And, and what what your spreadsheet look like? And it's it's a it's a it's a funny thing because part of two part of part of like having data is then okay. So what do you do with it? Right. So if I ask the city, like okay, the ones that say oh like we have that on spreadsheet, like okay, well I can't find it anywhere on your website. I have no idea any of this information. But actually, like I could check right now, and I think you guys have two hundred and twenty five startups. That's actually probably really interesting data and analytics on your on your own city. But it's just a little bit of a mentality too, I think. There's a been a there has been a huge shift and it's 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 been really interesting. And I think coming from like tech in the US, when you see like even states like Utah and like Indiana and that are that are starting to invest more in tech and attract more tech companies and like they're the there's no barriers to entry for anybody to recruit tech anymore. Obviously, like, you, you know, people know their geography and it's like, right, there's a, but the days of sort of Silicon Valley being, being the, the go-to have are completely gone. Even if you think about not just the, there's like the Zoom towns now and, and there's, there's going to be, I think over the next five or 10 years, there will be, will be shifts. 
there's still going still to be a big opportunity for for different parts of of the U.S. and even in different parts of the of the world to expand their like their ecosystem footprint and attract more tech. And and I think too the the ones that are proactive at it, the ones that are going to like take advantage of their of their own assets, and the ones that start to understand like what they actually have, are the ones that are going to be success more successful at least I think. Right, because that does seem to be the key. Understanding what you have, understanding you know who you are, allows a city to make investments or or, or whatever. Yeah. But it's that information. They have to have that information. And if they don't have it, or they think that they don't have it, or they think that they don't need it, it's almost too late. They need it, they need it more than anybody. Yeah, definitely. And they also, and I think you know, every every city or region has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Right? Data data is part of it, and there's other parts of it too. Like there's the people component. Who are the entrepreneurs? Who are the startups? Who who are the the enablers locally? Who are the accelerators? Right, that's that's all part of the story too. But yeah, definitely, like the, there's, we always like to say we're the the data layer in this too, right? Because to understand this, to figure out who these people are, what they're doing, you got to have some information and analytics on it before you can like start to take action on it and build programming around it, and and even like promote yourself as as what you want to be. So right, if you don't know who you are, if you don't have the data, then you can't craft the story. You can't tell anybody who you are. Yeah. And even like we talked about like health tech and what happened after COVID, there's Houston's probably a really good example of these places that are primed for R&D. Mm-hmm. It takes massive amounts of cash to support these, these R&D types of companies in the healthcare space. And what happened after COVID is more venture actually money started going into into healthcare, which wasn't as traditional before. And what happens when you can in, in health tech, you can you know you come out of nowhere and you, you there's a hundred million there, and you got lots of people working on a project. And there's lots of different parts of the U.S. that are going to benefit from a lot of the money going into like the R and D portion of, of health tech and, and sciences, particularly after COVID, because it just expedited the whole industry. Yeah, I think it. Well, I, I think the COVID accelerated everything yeah. good and bad yeah. by five years at least we're so much farther along than we all imagined we'd possibly be in 2019 yeah yeah crazy anyway this has been absolutely fascinating so if any of our listeners want to reach out to you find out more about deal room pick your brain what have you what is the best way for them to get into contact with you telegram telegram no, or a fax no i'm just kidding <laughs> they can uh, yeah send me a send me a linkedin it's probably the best way i'm happy to reply great and then if you'll send me all those links that you were that you've you wanted to yeah, for sure. share with me i will put those in the show notes we'll include those i think everyone would be super interested in in reading about that and seeing that and so if they just go to dealroom.co they can access the data they can look around they can see how it works yeah i'll send you a couple of links that okay. you can that you can share out and yeah excellent darren this has been fabulous You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com.